0: All right, all right. Hey, let me start off by saying thanks to two groups of people. First of all, uh, those of you that are watching online, which is like 96% of us, um, whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're watching on. uh, BiltmoreChurch.com, whether you watch on YouTube. Man, thanks for tuning in. Uh, it was fun last week to see where all the different uh, folks are watching from, so take advantage of the chat features. Let us know we can serve you. Uh, thank you so much, and thanks for practicing the gospel right there. What you saw a little while ago uh, with a dad baptizing his son, we have seen repeatedly as parents have discipled their kids uh, during this crazy season, so keep up the good work, and thanks for joining us. And hey, uh, if you're here, thank you very much as well. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having the fans out since the doors are open. Thanks for uh, not uh, doing the handshakes, hugs or high fives. Thanks for doing the air high fives, the air elbows, whatever it is. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for getting your temperature checked. Thanks for all this stuff that uh, that you're doing. And so uh, to be fair to everybody, uh, some of which will be watching this a little bit past when you got to see it, to be fair is uh, you guys RSVP'd for this week and I wanna make sure that you understand that we do that each week. And so next week, July the 2nd, to lean into the 4th of July weekend. So next next Thursday, Uh, July the second, for until it until both Hendersonville and Arden get to where we can are comfortably uh, kind of uh, maxing out uh, with the social distancing and so forth. Uh, Go ahead and RSVP for that because an hour before at each campus, uh, the Christian chicken will show up. Chick fil A will be here. There's no charge for it. It's just to kind of lean in. Uh, Thank you. But again, uh, RSVP at slash RSVP. And uh, when they're gone, they're gone. And however, if you RSVP, and something changes, please let us know because uh, at least the first two weeks, there have been people that have not been able to come because uh, it hit the limit to where we are right now. And if you like RSVP and don't show up and don't let us know, that is... It's very close to the unpardonable sin. It's not the unpardonable sin, but it's very close to doing that. So make sure you let us know so we can get all the folks in here. All right, here's where we are. Philippians chapter two. We say at our church every time, take your Bibles and turn to. So take your Bible and turn to uh, Philippians chapter two. All right, so uh, let me me start off though before we jump in there. If you hadn't seen on social media, I've been very unshy about it, is... uh, we have had a addition to the Frank family uh, during COVID, all right? We, our addition uh, comes in the form of uh, the most beautiful uh, granddaughter uh, ever in the world, our first granddaughter, and right there, that is Elsie uh, Grace. Oh, hold on, go back, one, go back one real quick. Okay, this is Elsie Grace at two months right there. Oh, I mean that is awesome right there. Okay, that's all. And then the next one, this is just to give you a little smile on your face. I don't know what just happened, but she looks a little bit shocked right there. And then uh, this was just, uh, I think Father's Day last uh, last week or Grandfather's Day. Is man, that's uh, I. Uh, that is like, uh, that's treasure right there. And and so what we're doing, it's, I mean, it's so, so fun. And man, the girl is growing, man. The girl is growing. She actually came a month early, all right? So she came a full month early and she was six pounds, all right? So at least technically she was a month early, but six pounds, she already had a full head of hair, but at six pounds she came out. And now we are at like two months or two months and a half. What is amazing is she is already at 11 pounds, all right? 11, I mean, the, She eats like a Frank, you can tell, but going from six pounds to 11 pounds, that's awesome. And what's even going to be more fun is in the months ahead and the years ahead, there'll be all these just iconic moments for us to say, look at how she's grown. Look at that development that she has. Probably the next one coming up. I mean, there's a bunch in between there, but like the next, like major one that we know is coming is... uh, I don't know when it's going to happen because Franks kind of walk, they don't walk early, they don't walk late, but they they walk kind of medium. And so probably around what, month 11, month 12, month 13, uh, there's going to be this moment uh, over at Tyler and Carissa's house, all right, probably, all right. Um, and what'll happen is this, there'll be this uh, moment, maybe they're kind of c- coaching her, but what she'll do is, is she will like... On a coffee table or a couch, she will like climb up on it just a little bit, pull herself up on there, and then because most babies' heads are much bigger than their bodies, she'll kind of like bobble just a little bit, not sure where, you know, weeble and wobbling just a little bit, and then it's, and then she'll grab back hold of it because she's not sure, she don't wanna fall, but then in that one splendid moment, hopefully with the phone recording everything, she will let go. And she will do something like this. She will go, step, step, maybe a third step, boom, and she will fall. And what will happen at that point? What will happen at that point is whoever is in that house will freak out about how excited they are. She walked. Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you get it on video? And then they'll put it out to... Instagram or they'll put it on Facebook, probably won't put it on Twitter because that's where all sad people go. But Instagram and Facebook, they will put that out there. They will send it out to relatives. They're like, look, look what I, and you're like, look what our baby did. She took three steps and fell. That's what she did. They might go over to her and go, great job, hold her up, because she might hurt herself when she falls. Hold her up, great job. And you did step, 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 fall. Maybe you can do step, 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 and then fall. These will be amazing. And here's what I want you to understand. I thought, I was like, man, this is the picture I want you to have in your mind. If you don't understand that in an infinitely greater way, your heavenly father, when he sees his sons and daughters, step, 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 fall, that his response is even more gracious, even more helpful as he wants to pick you up and say, okay, let's take four steps now All right, let's take five steps now. If when you fall, your whole idea is, man, I'm messed up, I'm have got in time out for a while. If that is what it is, then you are gonna struggle so much in just taking more steps in your Christian faith. So here's what I I was trying to like, I started off with this passage thinking we're gonna do like six or seven verses, that's gonna be easy. If you go to church here sometime, we'll do like two or three paragraphs, but we just kinda go verse by verse. But as I got in here, it's like two verses is all I got two verses you're like two verses what are you going to say about two verses for however long believe me there is a ton in here and what i want you to think about is this is this is how this is how grace centered growth happens in your life and in my life for the rest of your life grace centered growth two verses Every word, and this is one of my favorite things to do, is take a couple of verses and, st- and just go through it phrase by phrase and talk about the implications. So Philippians 2 is where we're gonna be. All we're gonna be is in verse 12 and verse 13. So here we go. I highlighted a couple of words for you because just realize we're either gonna talk about those for a second or we're gonna go back to them. And here's what I want you to ask the question. I want you to ask the question, okay, how is it that two people, can sit in the same church, listen to the same sermon, look at the same verses, go to the same connect group, be exposed to the same things, pray to the same God, and one is filled with joy and growth and maturity and generosity and love and all of that, and then the person next to them, maybe even their spouse, doesn't hardly grow at all. No joy, no generosity, no love, no difference in the way that they go about life. And some of you right now are like, you know what, I used to be like that. But somehow, way, during this whole crazy COVID time, I've gotten sidetracked and my walk is as dry as it's ever been. Well, I'm glad that you're here because here's what the verse says for you. He says, therefore, Now, therefore, preachers love to say, what's the therefore, therefore? But that is a good one to say. Therefore is based on all last week that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that there is not any part of the universe that is not under the lordship of Christ. And here's what he says. Therefore, because Jesus is Lord, my beloved. My beloved is uh, just a phrase of affirmation toward this church, and I looked it up. Only one other time does he talk to a church like this. He talks to the Thessalonians like this. He didn't talk to the Colossians like this. He didn't talk to the Galatians like this. He certainly didn't talk to the Corinthians like this. He talks to them to say, man, I just love you. He says, I love you, I like you. Honestly, I can say the same thing. I don't only really love you after 12 years. I not only really love you, I like you. It's great to do life together even during this time. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, remember he founded this church, he's now like a thousand miles away, he's in a prison, he's separated from him and has been for a while, but he's writing back to them saying, man, you obeyed when I was there, but even much more in my absence. I mean, this is a great fatherly kind of, listen, I love you, I hear great reports about you, but here's where we get into the... uh, Here's where we get into the weeds. We got to make sure we understand. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We'll come back to that. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works, he works what? He works in you. The God works in you. Well, how does that work? That's what we're going to talk about both to will, now this is your will and your work. It's my will and my work. It's my desires and my duty. It's my attitude and my action. He's looking for both for his his good pleasure. So, How do we actually, what are some things that can allow us to either get out of the doldrums of your walk now? One of the things I've heard, which is kind of weird because for a lot of folks, there's more time than we've ever had But right now when we're hitting like month four and and any novelty at all about shutdowns and crazy schedules, that is like long gone. And now it's like, man, when is this going to end? Could Could it be that God wants to take this unusual season in your own personal life, gives you a window to actually grow more than you ever have? to take some things off the table that used to be able to say, you know what? I'm too busy, I'm going to this sport and I'm going to that sport and this ballet recital and this activity, and now he's like, listen, I want you to get to know me, I want you to grow, all right? You've been a Christian for three years and you're still down here learning how to walk, all right? Let's learn how to jog, let's learn how to run. And so how's that gonna happen? Let me give you two things today, okay? Number one, and this is right there where it says work out. I'm trying to pick the words carefully and the first words were this is we want to we want to exert okay we want to exert exert it's we want to exert grace driven that's key we want to exert grace driven effort just grace driven effort grace driven effort the idea there where he says work out, it is a picture of labor. It's a picture of strain. It's a picture of sweat, just like I'm doing up here. It is a picture of saying, you know what? I got to put some effort into this. Now let's be clear theologically. It does not say let's work for our salvation. The whole Bible story is you can't work for your salvation. You can't. All right, the gospel is not, I it's not something that, hey, it's not a performance, it's not something you achieve, it is a gift that you receive. You know what, Jesus paid it all so you can't add to it. So please get that clear. I know we come from a variety of backgrounds. Some of you got pounded in, it's like, you know what, you gotta work, you do X, Y, and Z, and then heaven is a reward for the how you actually behaved. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our best works are like filthy rags, all right? Nothing you can add to what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago except accept it, except you know what? What Jesus did on the cross somehow counted for me. It counted for me. And so I repented and embraced him by faith. It is a gift that you receive. And so he says you work out your salvation. So people still get weirded out by that. So let me, let me put a little, uh, kind of a little, sidebar theology, all right? Some of you are like, I wanna take notes, I wanna figure this out. When he says to work out your salvation, salvation in Paul's writings are used about three different tenses. Sometimes it's used in the past, sometimes it's used in the present, sometimes it's used in the future. So sometimes he uses it in the past that you were saved. You were saved. I got saved as a junior in high school, all right? Or senior in high school. Senior in high school, Wichita Falls, Texas, there was a moment in time You can say, I got saved. Sometimes Paul uses it in the present tense, like you are being saved. It's kind of like, okay, I got married August 19th, 1989. I got married. There was a definitive point in time in Fort Worth, Texas. I married Lori Lynn Masters, all right? So I was married, but I am married now, present tense. Still growing, still working, still going after it. All right. The Bible actually says there's a future salvation. That's when God sets everything right. Romans eight talks about that. The whole earth groans looking forward to that day. But here's what you got to understand. It says it's God who works in you, God at work in you. And so here's what happened. When you got saved, if you're a Christ follower, God gave you a new heart. He gave you a new heart. All right. The Bible term for that would be the idea of, or the theological term would be regeneration. God gave you a brand new heart, and what He does is, by grace through faith, He changes. He changes us. That's how He changes people. He gives you new hearts, so you go from a terrible husband to a better husband. You go from somebody who's greedy to somebody who's generous. You go to somebody who loses his temper to somebody who has some patience. But here's what I fear, and this is this is. I actually preached that way for like ten years, and that is like, do this stuff, do this stuff, check this off. Even uh, I remember the very first pastor that I had. Uh, actually, I was a youth pastor, and the pastor wanted to retire, so he's like, "Preach all you want." I'm like, "Awesome, all right." So here's here's what it was. I remember in Palapinto, all right, Palapinto, Texas. Look it up; it's a real place. They had a they had a box up on beside the beside where uh, i think beside the baptistry and you had these things you would check off and it was like attendance here sunday school here giving here and you had these envelopes and you could check off read my bible right i read my bible i gave i went to church i prayed i did all this stuff and it was check mark and you had a sense that okay i've done what i need to do by checking this off Please hear me on this, because here's the reason a lot of us do not actually do that. We just kind of fake our way through it. If you, take the Bible, if you take the spiritual disciplines and do them without being connected to the work God's doing inside of you, it will actually turn from duty to drudgery and you will quit. Some of you are like, I've done 100, read the Bible in a year, and you've preached on reading the Bible a 100 times, and I start off and then I fail. And the picture that came to mind is this, is a a lot of us were sitting there going, you know what, Uh, I got to drill this thing and I'm going to read the Bible and it's like a power tool and I'm drilling and you're like, nothing is happening. Nothing's happening. Dude, I can't believe I didn't get a drill bit in here. Okay, so just drilling, drilling, drilling. But what it's saying is God is at work in you. God is at work in you. God is at work in you. And so he says, all right, you get connected to what I want to do and then all of a sudden, you can still not have any power at all. And see, when you don't have any power at all, then you've gotta exercise patience toward the person who put the prop up because you're like, you know what? Normally, if I was unregenerate and didn't have a new heart, I would be so angry at looking bad with no power to the tool. But I'm not, why? Because God's taught me like be patient and loving and joyful and all those fruits of the Spirit. See how that works? Works awesome, all right. (laughs) Cool, cool. So let's let's go ahead and this works right up here. This works here. So number one, okay, two tools. Not that one, two tools, two tools, two grace tools. So let's talk about the one, let's talk about Bible. You've heard me say a hundred times, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. I told myself, read my Bible, read my Bible. Over and over we're told get into God's word Jesus said, you know what, a person that listens to my words and obeys them, he's like a wise man that builds his house on a solid foundation. Uh, The apostle Paul says, "Um, it's good for rebuking, for teaching, for correcting in righteousness uh, so that you're equipped for every good work. Uh, The psalmist says, you know what, man, your words are like a treasure. They were valuable to me. The first Psalm says, you know what? Night and day I meditated on what you said. And let's, be, let's be clear. I've been doing this long enough to be really blunt. Do you know why the reason that most people, and even we're a Bible church, I and mean, that's what we are, we're a Bible church, okay? So I don't know how many members there are, but I would say, do you know the reason that 70% or so of, of our folks struggle to read the Bible on a consistent basis is because they see reading the Bible as an assignment, They see it as a check mark, as an assignment. I need to read the Bible. And preacher was sweating and he said, you gotta read the Bible, you gotta read the Bible. Hear me on this. The primary purpose of the scripture is not to give you a list of assignments that we do for God. Now there are some commandments, and I'll say it in a minute. The primary purpose is to tell us about an offer of grace and salvation to be received. It is the idea of, you know what, it's not an assignment as much as it is an announcement. And the more we think and dwell and appreciate the announcement of a beautiful God and what he's done for us to rescue us, then it's not just our activity changes, but our hearts change. Tim Keller had a great quote. Here's what he said. He said, American Christians read the Bible for a shot in the arm. That's why the Old Testament doesn't make sense to them. Better to approach the Bible as one long story about Jesus, the story as a whole nourishes our soul. It's a story about how how there is a great God worthy of great glory that you and I sinned against and he has come to rescue us. So listen, by all means, read the Bible. So this week, I mean, read the Bible, but what am I doing when I read the Bible? Don't read the Bible thinking if you read the Bible, God is going to love you anymore, that you gain favor with God. I mean, how much more, how much closer to God can you get than being in Christ? I mean, seriously. It's like, hey, God, I, I read the Bible today. Do you love me more? Am I close? No. You don't read it to sit there and say, God's happy with me today. Second reason is don't read it as a to-do list. A lot of them like, hey, give me a to-do list. Give me a to-do list. Uh, give me five ways to be a better husband, four ways to be a better parent, three ways to be a better wife, two ways to be a better church member. Six steps to this. Now, the best thing is, now that's in there, by the way, and that's why we preach it 52 weeks a year. We preach the Bible, all right, And we deal with stuff from family to finances. But if we go in there saying, okay, I gotta get something how to do this today, then you miss the whole story. And so when you get into things like, Leviticus, you die on the vine because you don't see. It's talking about the seriousness of sin and the grace that God showed at the cross. You just don't see it, so we quit. So we talk about Bible. uh, You're like, what are the commands for? Well, think about it this way. Uh, Your commands, uh, commands are like railroad tracks, but it's not the engine, okay? The commands are for human flourishing. It's like, this is the way I designed it to work. They're the railroad tracks. But if you not met some of the meanest meanest, professing Christians that knew the Bible real well? Come on now. You had not met any mean Christians that could quote you a bunch of verses? Some of them go to our church, so don't act like we don't know them. There are some that are like this. Like, I know all the dietary laws. I know this. I got books memorized. And it's like, man, you got no love. You got no joy. You got no peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or obviously no self-control. And so what happens They mistake the railroad tracks for the engine. So listen to me carefully. The motivation, the motivation is God's love for us. The direction are the laws of God to say, hey, stay on these tracks for human flourishing. You're like, well, I don't really, what if I don't feel like it? You're saying I I need to feel like, no, I'm not saying you feel like it. Like, I don't feel like reading the Bible. What do I do then? I don't feel like it. You know, you tell me to, but I'm gonna get up tomorrow morning and I'm not gonna feel like reading the Bible. What do I do then? I don't wanna be a fake, read the Bible anyway. Read the Bible anyway. And then as you're reading, just say, God, give me a heart that actually wants to hear from you and see your beauty. It's like exercise. (laughs) Has anybody else put on some weight during COVID? Bro, I don't care how much I run. It's like, it just the more every mile is like another pound on the booty. That's all it's like, how am I putting weight on running all this way? And in the same way, I can't wait for the gyms to open up. But I know that first few times it is gonna be Man, that hurts. Man, this is hard. But you do it anyway. Why? Because you know that after about the fifth time, you're like, I'm going on this elliptical. I'm awesome on this thing and I feel so much better. That's the way it is with the Bible. And what's he looking for? He's looking for to say, I'm gonna work on your work and I'm gonna work on your, on your will. Here's what I finally, about five years ago, God kind of took me to the mat and said, I got plenty of people who will reluctantly obey me. I have plenty of people who reluctantly do what I say. I'm not trying as hard. I want you to do what I say, Bruce, but I want, you to, I want you to lean in and want to do what I say. And so that just changed a lot. So he's not just looking for my action. He's trying to change something in here. And so that's the word. That's what it does. So what about, what's, what's another one? Here's the other one. Is you, is you got, there's about five of them, but... The blood of Christ is the one you gotta to understand too. The blood of Christ is a tool that you can use. Now, What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. Everybody looks in Philippians and say it's the book about joy. It's, as we said in week one, it's not a book about joy. It's not. Now, joy is mentioned as, an, as a byproduct, but it's a book about Jesus and it's a book about the gospel. Jesus is mentioned in the book of Philippians 61 times in 104 verses. 61 times in 104 verses in just four chapters. The gospel's mentioned like in verse, chapter one, verse five, it's mentioned in verse seven, verse 12, verse 16, verse 27, chapter uh, two, verse 22, chapter four, verse three, verse 15, over and over and over again. So here's why that's important to understand that, that the blood of Christ is something you have to understand as a tool. Because when we fail, when I fail, I fail in a bunch of different ways. Probably the one that I get worked on the most is when uh, I'm kind of a high justice person, which also can translate into some legalism. And sometimes I can rejoice when stuff happens to people that I don't think have behaved properly, and something bad happens to them, and I don't say it, and I don't tweet it, and I don't acknowledge it, and I certainly don't tell you. And, I guess until now but I'm saying when that happens when that happens something inside me is like yep 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 get what you deserve and then on the other hand this is while we're here um, sometimes when something good happens to somebody and I don't think they behave properly leading up to it man what are they I'm over here sweating like a dog you know I just I do that and God's rarely impressed with that Rarely impressed. But when that happens, um, what I have to remind myself over and over again is God doesn't love me. Listen, this is the word for some of you. God doesn't love me because I obey the law. Let that sink in. God doesn't love you because you obey the law. God doesn't love you because you are a lawkeeper. I know some of you are like, I am too. I am, listen. God does not love you because you obey the law. He loves you because of the blood of Jesus. He doesn't love you because you obey the law. First of all, you don't obey the law. Neither do I, we've all broken all 10 commandments, we've done that drill before. He loves you because of the blood of Jesus. You are accepted and loved and adopted because Jesus shed his blood for you, and when he looks at you, he looks at you through lenses of the blood of Jesus. And he says, you know what? Jesus righteousness. I see that to my daughter over here. Jesus righteousness. I see that to my prodigal over here. So the blood of Jesus is so important. Why? Because when you fail, and we say this a bunch of times here, if you understand the blood of Jesus, then what that allows you to do is to repent well. If you don't understand that, we don't repent well. What do you mean by that? I mean, if I don't understand that, my idea of repentance is to go over there and give God time to cool off. If I understand the gospel and if I understand the blood of Jesus, then when I do fail, I run to God in repentance and not run from him in shame. You're like, you say that all the time. You know what? In chapter 4, Paul's going to say, I tell you rejoice, and I'm going to tell you again rejoice. So there's like 10 things that I say over and over and over again. You know what? Declare and demonstrate your love and your sin, and one of them is run to God in repentance, not from God in shame. The only way you can do that is if you understand, you know what, I, I am uh, I'm underneath the blood of Jesus. So you're like, well, how, do, how does that even work in my life? Let me show you one uh, little phrase in here that if it were me normally, I would have skipped over. Some of you are like, that doesn't really make sense, but it actually goes perfectly with with grace-driven effort. And I'm just gonna put it this, embrace the God as he is revealed. Like, what do you mean by that? I kind of struggle with how to put that down, but here's what I mean by that. Do you see, go back to the little phrase, the little phrase that says, work out your salvation and then it says, do so, and there's a couple of adjectives there. It says, do so with, it says, with fear and trembling. And I know some of you are like, well, I know when the Bible says, you know, fear, because he's talking about fearing God. Like, how do you know that? Because verse 11 is talking about every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and then right at the, verse 13, it says, for God is at work in you. So he's tying it in to what he just said. Some of you, you see, fear God, Automatically, and I bet you I've said it before. It's like he didn't really mean fear God, he just means reverence God. He doesn't really mean fear God, he means to respect God and have reverential awe. The problem with that is, what's the, what does it say right there? It says fear. It's the word we get our word phobia from. If he wanted to say respect or revere, there were other words he could have used, other Greek words he could have used that mean respect and revere, but he didn't. He said fear, and if we didn't understand that, he says fear and trembling. So listen to me on this. This is, this is so important to spiritual growth. All over the Bible, when people encounter God, when they encounter God, this is their reaction. Proverbs 1.7 says the be- Fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. That means basically getting to know God. One oh one is a healthy fear of God. We're like, I gotta, you gotta, you gotta point that out some more places. All right, um, Isaiah six. Great preacher doing a great job in a difficult time. God shows up on the scene, and the first thing he says is, "Woe is me, for I am undone." Undone means I'm a dead man. God shows up, I'm a dead man. Job, we looked at him a couple of months ago. When he gets just a little bit sassy, what does God say? Shut your mouth, be quiet, and take some notes. Moses, Moses, not only did he say, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, but later on, a few chapters later, what happens? He's like, God, I wanna see you, and it's that great song we sing, show us, show us your glory. He's like, i want to show you my glory. You, if I show you my glory, with your face, you're gonna die. So go get in a cave, turn your head around and I'll let you see the back of me because if you see me, you're gonna die. You're like, man, God was cranky in the Old Testament. I like to, seriously, a lot of Christians think of the God of the Old Testament as like that mean, cranky teacher you had in high school and then they look at Jesus in the New Testament, it's like that cool, progressive substitute teacher who was like nothing but you know cookies and candy and let's just play all around. And what you wanna see is the same reaction in the New Testament, we just miss it sometime, is the reaction you saw in the Old Testament. A Couple of examples here. Uh, John, John was like Jesus' BFF. I mean, they were buds, right? I mean, they were buds. He's the one that said, the one that Jesus loved. I mean, he's, he's that guy. The first time he sees the resurrected Christ, the ascended Christ, excuse me, first time he sees the ascended Christ, look at Revelation 1. He said, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Peter, Peter's like, man, I'm dead. Get away from me, I'm a sinner. Or one of my favorite, there's a story, remember the famous story where the disciples are in the boat and they're in this boat and the storm comes up and they're like, really afraid. Actually, it says they were afraid. That's all it says, they were afraid. And Jesus is in the, Part of the boat, and he's just sleeping. I'm like, Jesus, get up! Jesus, get up! Like, this storm's coming in. And it's a great verse that says this It says, And they were filled, earlier it said fear, now it says they were filled with a great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know what they're saying? It's like they feared the storm, but they really, really feared now that Jesus calmed the storm. So they were scared of the storm, but now they're terrified of Jesus. And so here's what I want to tell you. That goes against Western Christianity. It goes against, it goes against the feel-goodism of consumer Christianity. But please understand me. I'm not saying that he says to cower in the corner in fear. What I'm telling you is he is saying part of learning about God is taking God as he is, not as how we want him to be. And what we tend to do is have one or two favorite characteristics and ignore the other ones and we end up being deformed Christians. And here's the good news though, is when life caves in, when COVID hits, when you lose your job, when your spouse walks out the door, when your kid's a prodigal, you don't need a precious moments God that just squeezes your hand and uses Christian platitudes like, you know, Jesus take the wheel or God is my co-pilot or let go and, you know, let God. You don't need that. What you need is you need the all-consuming God of the universe that is sitting on his throne, ruling everything with his feet up. That's who you need. And so when you look at this, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, but you've told us so many times, no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You've told us, you know what, how am I fearing God? You told us about I mean, it wasn't a month ago, Bruce, but you're talking about the beautiful shepherd who tenderly holds the sheep in his hand. I and mean, you did a whole series on the prodigal father who runs after the son and holds him and hugs him. What about that? What about that guy? That's the one you told us about. And what I want to just tell you is those stories should actually lead to more fear of God, not less fear of God. You're like, what do you mean? If you just take the cross itself, you know what the cross should tell us? The cross should scream, not just that I love you, but the cross ought to scream to us, God is holy and God is just and my sin is huge because it cost Jesus his life. So when we look at the cross, sure, it ought to be, we ought to be grateful, but it ought to have a sense of like, I've offended God, that's what my sin did and that's God's righteous anger toward sin. Let me see if I can put it this way. Uh, Again, it's not cowering in the corner with some tyrant God. I'll give you two quick illustrations. One, uh, in a much lesser way, but I don't know about you, before my dad passed, and he was the disciplinarian. And man, one of the worst things, because our mom would let us push her and push her and talk back a little bit, but man, the trump card, and the ace in the hole, the phrase we did not ever wanna hear was wait until your dad gets home. I mean, now, you know, wait till your dad gets home because I knew there was a healthy sense of reverence. He wasn't going to abuse me, all right? He was going, I mean, if it was bad, he was going to take the belt out and spank me. Some of you are like, well, we don't, you know, we don't spank our kids, and and, uh, my parents didn't spank me. We know, okay, we can tell. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, my dad did, all right? And so there was a healthy respect. Like man, wait till your dad gets home, we're it another one. Um, like two weeks ago, I had this awesome motorcycle ride, and I went—I'd never gone this direction. I went to Brevard, and then went over to into the Pisgah National Forest. Man, awesome. Went up there until it reached the parkway. If you hadn't done that, and it reminded me—I'm sitting there driving around, going, "I live, I live in Middle Earth. That's where I live. I get to live." in the Shire. I'm looking for a Hobbit. It's so beautiful. It's just like, this is amazing. You think about that. But think about all the different places you could, st- what was that, the, the looking glass, is that what I passed? Okay, and then you got Rainbow Falls and Triple Falls. But is it not true that every single summer, what do we hear? Maybe not this summer, but every single summer, what do we hear? We hear about something where somebody sit there and fooling around on a waterfall, looking over, and they slip and they die, and it's tragic. But when you look at that, that waterfall is amazing, but it's also dangerous. It's amazing, look at that, but it's also dangerous. And what you gotta understand when you talk about saying, I wanna know God for who he is, not who I've made him out to be, not a caricature, not something that I read in some precious moments card. Here's some things, uh, because our tendency is to focus on my favorite part, which leads to a deficient view. A couple quotes and then we're gonna pray. There's a guy I quoted a long time ago when we did a series out of Exodus 34 about the characteristics of God, a guy named A.W. Tozer. A long time ago, a dead guy, preacher in Chicago. Here's what he wrote about the importance of understanding who God is. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. No religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. And Listen to this last one. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward, listen, this is so key. We tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And he closes this. He says, the most determining fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he, in deep in his heart, conceives God to actually be like. And what he's saying is, what we think about God determines everything about what we value, to what we pursue, to how we pursue it, to our ethics, all of that. So here's what I want you to understand. Spiritual growth, spiritual growth is not just reading your Bible, it's, it's seeing God for who God reveals himself to be. He says, this is who I am. This is who I am. And if you don't, you have an incomplete view. A couple of examples, if God is holy, but he's not compassionate, you're gonna be a mean, judgmental person. You understand how that works? If your idea of God is he is a mean tyrant and you don't couple that with he is a compassionate, gracious redeemer, if that's who you think God is, then more than likely, that's what you're gonna to gravitate toward. And I would say, I, my personal thing would be, that's why you do have a lot of mean Christians because they never understand the gospel and how to plaster the holiness of God. That's why they can have great doctrine and just horrendous hearts. But anyway, that's a, that's a freebie. If, or no, if God is only, here's another one. If God's only compassionate, but he's not holy, then what we have a tendency to do is to tolerate and to think and to say that's okay, and yet God calls something an abomination. Well, God's just compassionate, but we don't mix that with the fact that God is holy. We just do this all day. If God is beautiful, but he's not powerful, then what do you do? You panic when the bottom drops out. You panic when the stock market drops out. You panic when the doctor walks in. But if he's powerful and he's not beautiful, then you get envious of other people. Then to get to the fact that it's very difficult to beat sin because you're like Adam and Eve, God's holding out on me. God's holding out on me. There must be a better wife or a better husband or a better job or a better church or whatever. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, This week, It's a little challenge. There is the part that I'm gonna challenge you to kind of sweat a little bit. What I mean by that is it's gonna be different things to different people. Uh, For some of you, uh, your Bible has not really gotten off the coffee table. Some of you, you put it in the back of the car last week and then you grabbed it, all right? Some of you, it's just not been used. And so if that's where it is, just challenge yourself. You know what, I'm gonna get into God's word. Three times this week, I'm just gonna read. Just gonna read it. God, what does it say? What do you want me to do? Pray, and that's it. Don't make it complicated others of you read your Bible, but it's been like a long time. You're like, man, I used to memorize a bunch of scripture. Now about all I can do is John three sixteen. As a matter of fact, my little boy knows more verses than I do. One of the best things right now, memorize verses as a family. But also when you do it, say, you know what, God, I know I'm not going to do this for you to love me more. You already love me more. You showed it at the cross, but I want you to show me, show me part of you that I do not know. What will happen is the growth will start. So we're gonna do it and whether you're at home or in here, I got two things for you. Number one, if you physically can, last week we talked about how our physical posture oftentimes helps our heart posture. And so if you physically can, I'm gonna ask you to join me on your knees and I'm gonna pray for you. I know some of you are like, man, I can't hit my knees, whether you're at home or here. And then I'm gonna ask you to do this. If you're like, I can't hit my knees, I got bad knees, whatever, that's fine. Then I'm gonna ask you to do another, I'm just gonna ask you to, because on your knees, what we said last week, if you're on your knees, you're like, I'm dependent. I'm in front of somebody that I need something from that is bigger than me, that is greater than me, okay? But if you can't do that, maybe you're in your chair, on your couch or wherever, then just kind of put your hands outward like this, just a little step of faith. You're like, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. Whatever, all right, miss out. All right, just put your hands up. What that's saying is, I have a need and I'm, I'm dependent on you, all right? So go ahead, if you can, hit your knees. If you can't, just put your hands out with them, palms up. Palms up, it's just that signal of, I got nothing in my hands to bring. I'm just coming to you as, as a great, great God. And so, Father, right now, I wanna pray for my folks. And God, this is a crazy, crazy time, tiresome. There's a lot of stuff that we've depended on from affirmation to encouragement to company to fellowship uh, to exhortation to all those things that have kind of been stripped away. And what our prayer is right now is in this season, it's not forever, but it is for now. God, right now, do what you wanna do. Help us to not look back six months from now and say, you know what, I wasted that opportunity. God, help us to know you better. And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that this week would be a time where they can see some measurable growth. We can see measurable growth in our hearts, in our attitudes. God, I pray those that are just gonna open up the Bible and just read, give them an amazing delight in that. Help them to be able to say what the psalmist saw, what the psalmist said. Man, I loved that. I loved it more than I loved rubies and jewels. God, help us to be able to say that. God, I pray for those that are discouraged, provide encouragement for those that are needing some guidance. Give them the guidance. But most of all, reveal yourself to them about what a great, great, awesome God you are. Got to pray for those that don't know Christ that this would be the time on their knees that they'd say, you know what? I don't know all of what this Bible says, but I know it talks about a God who loves me enough to send his own son to die in my place. That those baptisms that they saw earlier would say, you know what? That's a picture of the gospel. That you know what? I can be a brand new person. Jesus can make me new. He can give me a new heart and a new life. And I pray today they would say, you know what? What Jesus did on the cross, that counted for me. And that you would change them for the glory of Jesus. God, change us for the glory of Jesus and for the good of our communities and we pray it in his name, amen.